0: This episode of Ghosted in West Virginia is brought to you by Right Live. Weddings, private events, band and DJ bookings, live sound and more. Contact Right Live for all your event needs. We are dedicated to providing entertainment, promotion, production, for all of your special events. Contact them at rightliveevents.com, writeliveevents at gmail.com, or on Facebook at Write Live. Until then, enjoy Ghosted by Write Live. Hey, this is Yup Boy. Alec McCann and I am just here to tell you that we are still running our FSPCA fundraiser. They're about to get a whole bunch more dogs. They could really use the help, the donations. So if you don't mind heading over to GoFundMe, uh, looking up Ghosted in West Virginia, and it's uh, Paul Positivity or something, something like that. Uh, the link is on our Facebook. Uh, The link is actually on all our social medias, so check them out, uh, and uh, enjoy this episode, guys. You're listening to Ghosted in West Virginia. Oppressors, oppressors and possessors. It is I, Alec McCann, and with me as always, Julia. And this episode, Oliver. and Oliver. Yes, this episode we have an announcement. Kathy Moore from Berkeley Paranormal Investigations has joined the ghosted team. Oh, he didn't like that cold milk being on his stomach. How do you like it? Perfect has joined the team as a researcher. So everybody welcome her. And this episode is actually her inaugural episode. So I would like to thank Kathy for her contributions to this episode and for future episodes that we have coming up down the pipeline. Now, this does not mean that we aren't doing our own research. We are, but this is a lot easier for us to do uh because the fact that we have a baby and and uh we've got some stuff that we're you know trying to deal with so her she's taken some of the load off of us which is helpful supremely isn't it jules yes supremely, very much so and we uh jules and i had a, a good talk about it beforehand you know because i i told her you know with Oliver and soccer and all the stuff that we're gonna be doing plus I work. It's gonna be hard for us to get our own independent research yeah. done. So the individual episodes if they're not a compilation um, some most of the research will probably come from her. I'm not gonna lie about this because Julia and I both said that if we were uh, for her to write these Hold on, let my son figure out that he can turn over He's not a turtle Okay For a good bit of episodes Kathy Moore is going to be the researcher Because we have limited amount of time But we are still uh, planning things to research on our own But we are going after books of haunted stuff so like something that has a lot more documented information condensed into one area versus having to find the information over 16 different websites yeah. <laughs> so I just we just wanted to let you know what was going on with the show we still type you know change the notes uh, to fit our personality as she's given us clearance to do she didn't even want credit for this, but I you're not gonna join the team and not officially be right. announced. So everyone we don't do secrets. We don't tell secrets either. <laughs> so <laughs> um everyone, welcome Kathy. And uh, round of applause, Jules, if you would. Very good. I love Can you hear it? probably not. There we go. Yeah. Let's get the real ones out. Okay. So she wrote this episode. It's on the Greenbrier Ghost, Ooh. Um, and this is actually remember you made that episode of court cases that involved ghosts. Yes. This is actually a bigger. This is a uh, she wrote up nine pages of notes just on this one case. Awesome, um, and it's. Uh, the main character, not the main character, but the person that we're going to be talking about here is uh, Elva Zona Heaster Shoe. The first ghost to give testimony in court. <laughs> now, Erasmus Striving Trout Shoe. In fact, I believe we know we've talked about this, haven't we? Was this one of the cases that I we talked I think so. Well, this is awesome. The name sounds familiar. Erasmus Stribbing Trout Shoe was a blacksmith who had moved from Droop Mountain in Pocahontas County, Virginia to Livesay. Livesay? Sure. I'm it's, it's Livesay Mill. Okay. And. In... Stop it. Stop it. You're so mean. For no reason, <laughs> rub his feet. that's what he wants all right <clears throat> um I wonder where his lavender, is. His lavender. Well, I can get you some lavender right here put him right out force it down his mouth that's awful. I know, but he woke up the at six feet says no he woke up at like eight he's only been awake for an hour yes well then he's not allowed to even try and be tired. is he tired do you think? Yeah, you could tell. What? What? How? He just woke up. He's teething. That takes a lot of energy. I could grow teeth in my sleep. (laughs) Alright, I'm going to plug all yours out. (laughs) All right, you watch him grow right back. I got spares. He was a big man that posed a striking figure while working on shoes over the blazing fire. I'm sorry. (laughs) He's working on shoes over a blazing fire. They, he's a block, Oh, what are they called? Blacksmith? Blacksmith? Blacksmiths do not work on shoes. No, but. I don't know. <laughs> he's. he's yeah. Did they make shoes with fire? Back? Maybe he was making, like, a shoes for a knight. Ah. Like armor. I mean, this is Greenbrier, West Virginia. We don't have knights. Or where's Greenbrier? I don't know. There is one in West Virginia. It's Greenbrier County. That's where the Wrong Turn movies took place. Okay, well, the Wrong Turn movies don't have nights, and I've so this. have been there. Only threw it in the middle of the night, which was terrifying. <laughs> um, so he's making shoes over a fire because they don't melt from the rubber. The young ladies of the area would make excuses to go see the handsome blacksmith. Oh, apparently he is a blacksmith. How do you make shoes over a fire? We As still a have to like, be able to mold the rubber and stuff. That makes you a blacksmith? Cause if so, let's go outside, start a fire and I'll make us some shoes out of leaves right now. Oh good. Yeah, like a like a genius. We might have some old tires. You could make some oh, shoes I could out. make some good shoes out of some tires. You talking about? Are we talking Goodyear?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh man, them rubber! You could, you could, you could, you could. You've s- lived here too long. <laughs> them rubbers. Now look, you could you could stop a child with that kind of power from ever existing. He's so spoiled. You're just not even going to mention the comment of tires? I'm pretending I didn't hear it. Oh. That's a good idea, though. That's what we could do with tires. The young men wanted to be like him. Elva Zona Heaster was a resident of Pocahontas County. Who went to Greenbrier to sell eggs and vegetables. How long ago was this case? 1896 is when they got married, so... This is before eighteen ninety six. So maybe they were I don't they didn't have knights in eighteen ninety six. What's wrong with me? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. They stopped using knights when they found guns. Oh. Um there she met Erasmus aka also known as Lil Wayne. Or also known as Edward because no one wants to call him Erasmus. I would, would. Erasmus. Hey, Erasmus. Erasmus. Erasmus either. Um, or they would just call him Trout. Uh, At the blacksmith shop owned. West Virginia nickname. Yeah. Uh, and the shop he worked at was owned by James Crookshank, which, if I'm not mistaken, was the cat from Harry Potter, wasn't it? Wasn't that Hermione's cat Crookshanks? I'm pretty sure it was That fat cat with his snub face guy, a fat bastard. I was not you were? I have never watched Awesome Powers That's a lie I have I, only, the, so only the two movies I didn't see Goldmember I think I watched like the previews And was like this motherfucker <laughs> is the stupidest. First of all We can't talk bad about Mike Myers Because he, he gave me The best childhood ever you know what I'm talking about. It's Wayne's world. <laughs> Wayne's world. Party time. Excellent. See, even he knows. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> that's going to, just to make you mad, that's going to be the next thing he watches. This is where she met Erasmus Shoe. He's a shoemaker. His name is Shoe. And Trout. Your head hurts. Well, we don't have any Motrin round. Well, give him some then. I'll put this on pause. Okay. How do I do that? Oh, shoot. Oh, no. Sorry, folks. Well, folks, while we're waiting on Julia to get the uh, medicine, <laughs> why don't we talk to... Hey, stop sticking your fingers <laughs> down your throat. Where's his pinky? <laughs> Put that in your mouth. Go to sleep. All right, Jacob, tell the folks where you're from. The hospital. The hospital. Yes. What did you do in the hospital? I sleep on my mother. Yeah? Yeah. What's your favorite thing that's scary? Hmm. You have to remember, people are listening, so you gotta. Yeah, try and be a little faster with your answer. Just a tiny bit faster. Okay. Say it again? All right. Uh, we'll move on to the next question because your mom is coming, so I don't have to ask you any more questions. Yay! I'm I'll, from the hospital, by the way. You already said that. Here. It's good to say it twice. Like the city that it was so nice. Like a I know. All right, just really, you have to have some. Yeah, all right, head out. All right, let's see here. So, hey, shut our door for real. That is super loud out there, <laughs> <laughs> Jacob. Sorry, folks, give me a second. Turn the TV down and I shut our that door. Hurt? your TV is loud. We can hear it through the wall, homie. (gasps) Jacob, just go. Oh, my goodness. If anybody wants some children, you can just contact us. We'll get rid of them fast. So, she meets the shoemaker. Okay. Erasmus shoe at his blacksmith shop. Not his blacksmith shop. (gasps) Hermione Granger's cat's Shop. shop. Elva Zona Heaster preferred to be called by her middle name, Zona. These people make some real strange choices in names. Even for this area. I say that, but I knew a man named Rabbit and Squirrel. And Fox. Hmm. Or maybe Squirrel... No, Rabbit was the man I knew. Squirrel was his brother. They're from church. And they were old and ready to pass when I was born. I graduated with someone who went by a bear. But that's, that's understandable. Was he a big man? Oh, yeah. Well, then that's understandable. You call me Sasquatch all the time. Now, Erasmus was taken by the young, lovely Zona, and she was smitten with him, so they decided that they wanted to get married. Oh. You know the problem. <coughs> Marry Jane was not impressed. And no, I don't mean marijuana or Spider-Man's girlfriend. I mean Mary Jane Heaster. She was not impressed with Erasmus at all. See, Zona's parents had traveled to the blacksmith shop to meet Erasmus uh, as their daughter was so infatuated with him. But Mary Jane just found him offensive, loud, and overly flirtatious with the young ladies. I am not overly flirtatious with anybody. I can barely be flirtatious with you. Well, you're offensive and loud. Well, yeah, but I'm offensive because people are cupcakes. Mm-hmm. And also because people don't like being wrong, and oftentimes when they talk to me, they are. Isn't that right? Yeah. See, he said, Yeah. No, you can't have this. What are you doing? <laughs> Oliver, stop it. Get off me, you heathen! <laughs> Alright. We're just gonna have to do this. Ah. She... Ah, you tried to bite me! <laughs> Here's his cup. Um, so Mary Jane finds him offensive. She also felt that he was older than the 22 oh, years he told Zona. Oh. Zona... Did not wait. Were you about to say something? No. Oh, Zona did not take her mother's advice, and after two weeks, Zona did marry Erasmus, much to her dismay. She, two weeks. Only two weeks. Even in 1896, that seems short. Yeah, was asking for a bad time. Asking to end up dismembered in a freezer. They were married in a Methodist church on October 20th, 1896. The union caused a rift in the family, and Zona moved away and did not communicate with her family anymore. Sadly, this decision would torment the family for years. Zona was happy to be a wife and started fixing up the two story house that they had. So the family was tortured, but Zona was perfectly happy. She said, "Hi, ah, screw the family. <laughs> yeah. Now, Zona was very quickly became an abused wife. Erasmus ruled with a quick temper and heavy hand. In fact, January of 1897, Zona, under the doctor's care for uh, a suspected pregnancy, um, and this was not good news to Erasmus. Who continued to abuse Zona. While under the care of her doctor, he seemed to be genuinely concerned and committed to her health needs. Um, I'm confused. Apparently, this was not good news. Her being pregnant? I guess so, but then it says he genuinely seemed... Er, uh, under While under the care of the her doctor, he seemed to be genuinely concerned and committed to her health needs. Maybe this next. On September 22nd, 1897, Erasmus was on the way to work, stopped by a neighbor, uh, quote-unquote Aunt Martha Jones and her son Anderson Jones. Erasmus asked if Anderson would go over and help Zona in a little bit after his chores were done. Erasmus kept coming to the house asking if Anderson had checked on Zona, and by 1 p.m., he was upset that he still had not checked on his sick wife when Anderson, Andy... Instead of going to ask this person to check on his wife, couldn't he have just gone to check on her? Well, you're going to find out. Mm -hmm. Uh, When Andy, age 11, did go to the shoe house to check on Zona... He stopped at the hen house to collect the eggs, only to find that they had already been collected. Heading towards the house, he began uh, to have an ominous feeling. Getting to the porch, he found a few drops of blood on the steps. He knocked on the door a few times, and after getting no answer, he slowly opened the door. He saw, my God, why did he put the cold drink on me? (laughs) Ah! Ah, it's all over. Stop it! You it up so nicely against God, because I'm fat. Um, he saw Zona with her legs straight out, one arm by her side, and the other one. Oh my goodness. The other one across her chest. Terrified, Andy ran back. Oh my goodness, to his mother crying, Help! Miss Shoe is dead! Martha quickly ran to the blacksmith shop to inform Erasmus. No one thought of checking with the police. Right. Um, upon hearing upon hearing of his wife's death, Erasmus ran out of the shop uh, and home to try and help his wife. He was in tears and crying for Martha to get Doctor Knapp. Doctor Knapp woke up and. <laughs> When Dr. Knapp arrived, he was surprised to find that Zona had been moved into her bedroom and dressed for her funeral. Wow! He was like, let's get this on the way. She's dead. Ain't nothing we can do about it. Get her dressed, I guess. Now, this was strange as it was Victorian custom for the family and church ladies to prepare the female bodies for viewing and funeral. He had bathed dressed her in her wedding gown of burgundy color with a high stiff neck and a scarf that did not match uh, tied around her neck. He also had clothing and a pillow of each side of her head to help her rest easier. Every time the doctor would make an attempt to examine her body, Erasmus would cover her body and cry out for her. Oh my. What I, a, remember. I remember. I Shush. Because of you, all this is all over the bed. I've got lotion all up my back. Dude, stop. Ow! Oh! Get up and move. My goodness. I don't enjoy him anymore. We need to take him back to the hospital. Get that out of your mouth! Stop it! Oh! He's just biting everything now. Don't turn around and look at me like that. I'm not interested. Don't you bite me either. I need to get through this. The doctor is trying to find out if she's okay. I'll want your foot. (laughs) I'll rub your foot if it keeps you quiet. Now... Every time the do- oh wait, I already said that, the doctor made more of a show of performing the exam than actually being able to do it as a result of not being able to fully see and examine the body of Dr. Knapp. Wait, what? I'm sorry. They, they didn't get in here for homosexual conjugations. They are examining the body of his wife, and Dr. Knapp diagnosed her with everlasting faint. Which means heart attack. While descending the stairs, the doctor noticed a few drops of blood on the floor, at the foot of the stairs, and suggested that she may have had a miscarriage. It was not even known if Zona, if Zona was pregnant. Martha sent word to Zona's family, and her mother insisted that she be brought to her boat, her boat home, her birth home, for the viewing. When Zona was put in the casket, Erasmus stood by it always held her head he placed pieces of cloth and folded sheets on either side of her head to help keep her comfortable she's dead there's no comfortability um, the next while everyone was visiting, sitting, and uh, dozing, Erasmus remained standing at the head of the casket the next day as the wagon carried Zona's body to the Seoul Chapel Methodist Cemetery With her family walking behind her, uh, the services being performed, Erasmus continued to cry and grieve in the front of the casket. That is, except her mother, Mary Jane Heaster, she was heartbroken that her only daughter had married a man that she did not like and moved to the other side of the county, uh, who answered to Trout. Miss Heaster bent to kiss her daughter's cheek. Okay, so he was the only one up there except for Mary. Uh, And when she removed the pillow and sheet so she could offer... Oh, wait, hold on, I'm sorry. She bent to kiss her daughter's cheek, and before the casket closed, she removed the pillow and sheet so that she could offer it to Erasmus. He promptly refused, and once Zona was in the ground, he walked away. Miss Heaster placed the pillow and sheet in a tote bag to take home. Weird. The Why fam- not just leave it? Well, I don't know. The family walked back to the. I don't know. That's a good question. Why wouldn't you just leave it? It's in there. Yeah, it was already in there. It's, with already, her. it's already touched a dead person. Do you really want that back? People are strange. They are. That be, but I feel like that'd be like me going in and being like, "Ah, Grandpa, you're not gonna use these clothes anymore." That's still super weird. I, like well, it's, yeah, it's, it's that's, that's what that's my point. That's like me going in and and just undressing my Grandpa because he's not gonna wear that suit anymore. Like he's not gonna, he's not gonna, no one's gonna see him in it, and and we're just gonna, you know, the DK process is not nice to a body or to clothes. The family walked back to the house with many of Zona's friends and family thinking that Erasmus' display of grief was very strange but not really suspicious. Zona was, uh, her mother's her best friend. What? Zona... I don't, I don't. In her grief, Mary... Jane started to sleep in Zona's room. I'm not 100% sure. It says Zona was mother's. Her best friend. Probably was her mother's best friend. Oh. In her grief. Mary Jane started to sleep in Zona's old room. This is. By the way. That's not. This was my fault. Uh, When I retyped it. I put stuff out. Or I, I, I rushed through a bunch of stuff. But to be fair the same situation Oliver was around and there was a bunch of tugging. So Mary was a Christian woman and knew her Bible and she began to pray without ceasing. As it says in first Thessalonians chapter five, verse 13, which I mean, a lot of people take that out of context, but whatever. Mary Jane prayed day and night for her daughter to come back somehow, some way and tell her side of the story. Within month, a month of Zona's passing, Mary Jane started telling the family and friends that Zona had come to her in visions. She stated that she was in Zona's bed crying and praying. She... If someone's been in the bed for a long time like that, and they say, oh, I was in the bed. Do you think the rest of her family's like, yeah, we know where you were. You haven't come out of her room. And that all we do is hear you cry. So we know where you were. Why don't you just tell us what you want to tell us so we can go about our day? Um, Mary Jane said that a mist uh, formed lightly in the corner that slowly began to turn into Zona. Mary Jane said that Zona wanted to tell of the violent events that led to her death. She said that she was not feeling well and did not prepare meat for dinner that night. She had bread, pears, apples, apple butter with other jellies and jams. Upon arrival, uh, he became enraged that there was no meat for dinner and began to abuse her. She turned her head 180 degrees to show that her neck was broken. She also told Mary Jane that, she, that he squeezed her neck and he, she could not breathe. Rumors of the vision started to make their way around uh, that Erasmus, who was going by Edward, had killed his wife. Mary Jane convinced her brother-in-law to take her to John A. Preston, who was a Pro- Lewisburg prosecutor. At first, he did not believe the story that Mary Jane was telling him. However, after several hours of questions, John was convinced that she had a basis for more of an investigation than had been done. She also explained that there was not an autopsy done at the time, and he was intrigued even more. When John spoke with Dr. Knapp, he did agree that he may have made a mistake in the diagnosis. John Preston also looked into the background of Erasmus and found some remarkably interesting information. See, Rasmus had served time in a penitentiary and had two previous wives, one that had died under strange circumstances. Mm. His first wife, Allie Esteline McMillian, what a name, is said to have left him because of his abusive behavior. His second wife, Lucy Ann Shue, died as a result of a brick hitting her in the head. That doesn't sound like suspicious circumstances. Right. That sounds like we don't know where the brick is, so he's able to go. Erasmus said that he was repairing the roof, fireplace, I'm guessing the chimney altogether, yeah. and Lucy was helping by placing the bricks in a bucket attached to a rope. While pulling the bucket up to the roof, one fell out, striking Lucy in the head and killing her. Really? Hmm. Oh, it's just an accidental brick come out of the bucket there, Your Honor. <clears throat> with this new information and the fact that no autopsy was done, John felt it was time to move forward with the case. If the autopsy were done and she was murdered, they'd have a solid case. If she were not murdered, they could give her mother the answers and the peace she needed to go on. The next day, John Preston and Dr. Knapp went to Erasmus Hsu and informed him that they were going to exhume Zona's body. He was instructed to follow them to the grave. They also took Martha Jones and her son Anderson as well. Several neighbors were there and did not want to exhume the body as it had never been done before. Oh, so this is the first time we are exhuming a body. After threats of arrest and many arguments, the grave was opened and the casket was carried to the one-room schoolhouse. The entire time of the long journey, he kept muttering, I don't know what in God's or what in the name of God they're taking her up for. They're not going to find anything. True classy man, as always. The schoolhouse was the very same schoolhouse that young Zona had attended as a child. She was placed on tables, pushed together for the examination. Erasmus instructed, was instructed to stay while the examination was being performed. Doctor Knapp, McClung, and Rup, oh I'm sorry, Rupert—conducted the examination. As the doctors inspected the lower portion of her body, Erasmus was very calm and composed. As they neared her head, it was clear that Erasmus was becoming visibly shaken. Although shaken, he maintained his innocence sat on a large packing box, whittling it with his knife. First of all, get your knife out of your hand. Right. There's three of us. Second of all, why, why are you getting nervous the closer we get to her yeah, head? Exactly. Much to the astonishment of everyone, Zona's neck had finger-shaped bruises on her neck and a windpipe that was crushed. Mm. Astonishment to everyone? Like, if I knew this man's history, I wouldn't be astonished. What, is he holding your ear? He's got a death grip on my hair. Oh. Well, just be excited when he pulls it. and Now, even more shocking was the fact that her neck was fractured at the first... (coughs) At the first and second vertebrae exactly as the spirit had described. In her stomach was indeed portions of apples, bread, and preserves that she stated she had on the table that night for dinner. This proved the information given to Mary Jane by a ghost was true. Mr. Preston turned to Mr. Erasmus and said, Well, Shoe, we have found your wife's neck broken. Shoe's head dropped. A change came over him that uh, that, uh, uh, I don't know. Shoes head dropped. Oh, and a change came over him. But it certainly proved his guilt. To, or, uh, um, okay, I got it. This is, a, uh, this is Preston continuing on. So Shoes head dropped. A change came over him that I can't explain, but it certainly proved his guilt to me. A coroner's inquest was held on March 1st, 1987 what march 1st 1987 that's quite a ways away yeah wow erasmus would not accept any responsibility for his wife's death with the mounting circumstantial evidence the jury charged him with murder arriving at the house the next day Shu seemed in a brighter spirit and offered the party breakfast When they accepted, he cooked the meal himself and then announced he was ready to go to jail. Okay. Um, He was ready to go to jail, all right. At Lewisburg, he was charged with the murder of Miss Michoud and placed in county jail without bond to await the June term of the Greenbrier... Oh, dude! Greenbrier County Circuit Court for the trial before Judge J.M. McWhorter. Why don't we have names like this? Prosecuting attorney Preston and his assistant Henry Gilmer spent several more months seeking additional evidence against Shue, both fearing the testimony of Miss Heaster would not convict their prisoner. So his, his trial began June 30th of 1897. Oh, maybe it was supposed to be 19. It was supposed to be 1897. No. The things were mixed. Um, Let's see here. He hired defense lawyers William Reekler and James Gardner. James Gardner? He's a famous actor. Mm. Incidentally, James Gardner was the first black lawyer. Oh, it's not the same James Gardner. Uh, to practice in a circuit court in the state while Erasmus was on the stand he claimed that charges were due to his mother-in-law not liking him and nothing more she was being spiteful because of grief and nothing more the jury learned that Erasmus was not only a horse thief but also a liar they also heard that Zona was his third wife and the circumstances of his two previous wives. Dr. Knapp was the first witness called. He told of conducting the post-mortem examination and finding Ms. Hsu's neck had had, Mishu's death had been the result of a broken neck dislocated so perfectly that it escaped his observation for three days. At the same time, the physician pointed out that uh, the break was of such a nature that Miss Shue could not have done it in an attempt of suicide. Mm. That's, a, that's a weird, like, that they think they were going to be like, oh, she broke it right. to kill herself. John Pres- Preston was hesitant. He- let me tell you what he was. He was hesitant. <laughs> to call Mary Jane to the stand as he feared the talk of visions would cause ridicule. The fence smugly called Mary Jane to the stand anyway and stated, I have heard that you have had some dream or vision that led to this post-mortem examination. And Mary Jane assured the defense that it was not a dream as she had never been more awake. She was able to describe the interior of the house and what was on the dinner table. She was she had not been to the house before she explained that Zona was wearing or what Zona was wearing where she was killed and all of her injuries the next person called to the stand was 11 year old Anderson he was able to recall that day I can remember it well it was Saturday Mammy told Mr. Shu I had to go to doctor first and finish some work there he seemed to resent this but asked if I could go later in the day Four times he came back to the house for me. Each time I was busy. About 1 p.m. he came again, and I agreed to run his errand. Going to the house, I felt that something was wrong. All the doors were closed. There was air about. There was an air about the place I did not like. Reaching the steps, I saw a trail of blood, and that scared me. But I went to the door, and knocked. No one answered. And I tried it, and found, and finding the door unlocked, I walked on into the kitchen. The trail of blood continued across the floor to the dining room. The door, too, was closed. Once more, I knocked, and getting no answer, I walked in. Stumbled over Miss Shu's body, I did. There she was, stretched out on the floor, looking as dead as a doorknob. Doornail, sorry. <clears throat> Legs stretched out, looking right up at me through wide open eyes. She seemed to be laughing. I was affrighted but still able to reach down and shake her. (laughs) She was cold and stiff. Running from the house, I called across the field to Aunt Martha. Miss Shoe is dead! As she ran to the house, I went down the road to Mr. Shoe, finding him at the blacksmith shop with Charles Tapscott. When I told him what I had found, he yelled, and with Mr. Tapscott, started for the house, and I continued on to get Dr. Drew. Or, I'm sorry, Dr. Knapp, not Dr. Drew. Now, the jury was uh, left with circumstantial evidence. The judge cautioned them. There is no middle ground for the jury to take. The verdict, inevitably and logically, must be for murder in the first degree or for an acquittal. So, he was like, you're not hanging this jury. Right. You know, letting them go or getting out of there. On June 22nd, 1897, the jury convened for one hour in 10 minutes before they found Erasmus Shue guilty. The accounts of the Independent News make it clear that Shue was convicted of the murder of his third wife on circumstantial evidence and not because of ghost testimony. He was sentenced to life in state prison. Rumors of mob violence grew. Sentiment crystallized. and On Sunday following Shue's conviction, a small mob gathered at the Meadow Bluff campground to take the prisoner from his cell in the county jail and hang him. Shoes' fate, the mob decreed, should be the same he had judged and carried out for his innocent wife, death by broken neck. At 10 o'clock, they gathered at the rendezvous eight miles from Lewisburg. One man, however, decided his neighbors were making a terrible mistake. George M. Hunter. Hearing of the plan, Hurrah mounted his horse and hurried over to the house of Sheriff Nick, Nick Nickel, Nickel at Meadow Bluff. Stop! Oh my goodness, get rid of him. I don't like being a dad anymore. Oh, I've hit his feelings. He's not even crying, he's just making noise to make it. You want your binky back? Keep it in your mouth and keep quiet. There you go. Now, somebody, oh, wait, uh, so they, uh, both men started for Lewisburg to protect the prisoner, but to reach there, they had to pass the campground. And somebody in the mob recognized the sheriff as he sped down the road on his horse. Several of the would-be lynchers gave chase. They captured the two men at point of pistol. Sheriff Nickel drew his gun and was about to fire, despite overwhelming odds when he recognized his assailant. Deciding to kill the gunman, even at the cost of his own life, the sheriff sheriff tried moral persuasion. Mob leaders went with him to the home of D.A. Dwyer. There, after considerable argument, Sheriff Nickel won his point. The mob disbanded, giving the new stout rope with which they had planned to carry out the hanging of Shue over to the sheriff. Ooh. Two days elapsed before Shue was removed from Moundsville Penitentiary Ooh. to serve the remainder of his life. Once in Moundsville, Shue worked as a blacksmith and proceeded to tell everyone that he was destined to have a total of seven wives. On March 13, 1900, Erasmus Trout, Shue, Died in the West Virginia State Penitentiary at Moundsville at the age of 39 from pneumonia. And he was buried in White Gate Cemetery in Moundsville. Mary Jane never stopped believing her daughter visited her after death. And in 1916, Mary Jane Heaster passed away. No further sightings of Zona's spirit have been reported. She still remains one of West Virginia's most beloved ghosts. A state highway marker several miles west of town sums up Shoe's amazing story. Interred in a nearby cemetery is Zona Heater Shoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to state prison. And that is all we have for... Good night, Jacob. I'm sorry, but we can't give you any more medicine. Bye-bye. Oliver's waving at him. I know. Okay. So, that's the Greenbrier Ghost County Ghost. Uh, What? Greenbrier Ghost County Ghost. I would like to say thank you to Kathy for sending this information our way. And what do we we have something coming up that you're super excited that she sent the research for. What was it? I don't want to say. You don't want to say? Mm, it's a surprise. A surprise. Okay. Well, in that case, everybody, thank you for listening. I know it was a late episode, but I told you I'd get it out today, and here it is. Still today. <laughs> That being said, you won't hear this until tomorrow, so everybody that's listening, we are recording this on the 8th? 9th. which is a Sunday, so sorry for the lateness. Bye! Oh, wait, wait, there's one more thing. Curl up, they're at your feet, they're at your feet, they're there now, get up, get them, Rod! Run!